Well, welcome. It is great to see you all. My name is Caleb. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And as Pastor Joe mentioned, Transformed in 2018 is our theme for this year. And before we dive into the sermon, I just wanted to float out and try not to hit it right back in my face. How's everybody doing with transformation? We're about eight and a half months in. Some of you are like, I wish you wouldn't have asked that question. You big jerk. Others are like, hey, don't ask my spouse because it may not be a great response. Right? Or family members or friends or coworkers that we know. How are we doing with transformation? I want to encourage you that transformation is a great thing, but it doesn't happen overnight. Right? Maybe some of you have realized that. But keep plugging away, right? The process of transformation in the Christian life is one that sort of dovetails your efforts, your sweat equity, your work, and the Holy Spirit working in and through you, right? You can't just sit back and go, <clears throat> Holy Spirit, transform away, baby. Have at it. I'm just going to be sitting here on the couch doing nothing. Transform me, right? So you gotta, you got to be disciplined. you got to be uh, intentional about your transformation. So keep plugging away at it. Keep plugging away at it. Whatever areas the Lord is revealing to you, Instead of uh, shying away in fear, say, God, give me courage to obey that area with boldness. Help me to obey you in those areas. Show me, show me where you want me to change and then help me to have the courage to obey that. Because I want to be more like Jesus tomorrow than I am today. And that's that goal, that step-by-step -step process of our giving over to the Lord more and more of our heart and of who we are as people. Pastor Joe started a series last week called Transform 101. We're looking at GROW, which is the middle third of our mission statement. And our mission statement answers the question, why do we exist? And we exist for three reasons, right? And if you've been here long enough, you know it's no, grow, serve. We exist to see people come to know Jesus and then we exist to, to see people growing in their relationship with Jesus. And then we exist to see people serving him daily. It's this movement of transformation. And back in February, we took three weeks to look at the first third of our mission statement, the no part. And we looked at believing in Jesus and belonging to him. And then baptisms, where we made a, a public proclamation of our inward faith. We, we brought our faith away from the privateness of our life, out into the public and said, I believe in Jesus Christ and I want to get baptized. And we did spontaneous baptisms. And now this series is another three-week series looking at grow. And last week, as Pastor Joe kicked it off, he talked about sort of this new way of living. And we looked at Acts 2 and saw how the believers gathered together. And even though it didn't bring them uh, any status or social status or improvement in their uh, circumstances and setting, they, they did life together as followers of Jesus Christ. And this week, we're looking at a different way to learn. A different way to live was last week. A different way to learn is this week. And as I was thinking about a different way to learn, I was reminded when um, we have two kids now, and after we had our second child, I stepped away from coaching soccer. I was coaching soccer two nights a week and going to grad school two nights a week, and having two kids under the age of three, it was like, man, it's probably not a good idea to be gone four nights a week, right? 
So I stepped away from coaching, and I love coaching soccer, and I'd coached it for nine, ten years, something like that. And what I, what I loved was the interaction, the relationships that you developed with the kids. Uh, one of the hardest parts about coaching, though, was when, a, was when a, a, a child came to me and had already developed bad habits in regards to their soccer technique. And maybe if you're a coach of a sport or you're a teacher, you can relate to this. You understand that it's difficult to teach somebody, or if you're a parent, <laughs> it's difficult to teach young people when they have already developed bad habits. And as Christians, we have developed bad habits. As human beings, we have developed bad habits because our minds are fallen, right? We're redeemed, but we're always striving against the world and, and, the, and the, the image of the world and trying to be more and more like Jesus. And so we have to sort of root out these bad habits that we have and give them over to the Lord for transformation. So we... We have these bad habits that we have to unlearn, just like those kids who came to me on the soccer team, and they had bad habits that I had to spend time teaching them first to unlearn their bad habits so that I could then teach them how to learn the technique in the correct way. So Paul in Romans 12, 1 and 2, he gives us, he gives us some steps for us as we learn in a different way as we try and figure out how to unlearn some of the bad habits from our fallen minds and then relearn the habit in a good way in order all in order to have our relationship with Jesus grow so if you have your Bibles <clears throat> go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 12 or if it's on your phone go ahead and, and pull that up and, and it, it will be on the screen as well All right, Romans chapter 12. Paul, the context of this <clears throat> is that Paul is, is he's writing to Christians in Rome. He's, he's written 11 chapters of material. And that 11 chapters of material covers a ton. All right, and so he's, he's sort of transitioning now and, and he's making an appeal to them as believers in Jesus Christ. He's, he's urging them in a strong way. He's not commanding them, but he's basically commanding them. All right, so he says this in verse one of chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, and the original language there includes brothers and sisters. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God's word for us this morning is going to show us three different steps that we need to take in order to produce growth within our relationship with him. The first one is right God. Second one is right response. And the third step is the right life. Right God, right response, and right life. Paul says in that very first sort of couple of clauses in verse 1, he says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. We all have different views of God, don't we? Whether we were raised in the church or, or, or raised outside of the church or even now, we have different views of God. And these views are 
are our bad habits from a fallen mind. Let me give you some examples. I grew up thinking that God was more of like a divine police officer. He was just out to ruin my fun. He was just waiting for me to screw up. And he was kind of going to come down from heaven and just wreck me with punishment. Right? Maybe some of you believe that about God. Others that I've talked to sort of have like a transactional relationship with God, like an, like an ATM where you put your card in. So our card in the spiritual world would be, uh, we'll put our prayers in, church attendance, uh, trying to raise our kids in the right way, uh, trying to do the right thing. And then, and then what we expect is cash in return, right? Only cash in the spiritual world is blessing, right? We expect God to bless us. And anytime that doesn't happen, we kind of look at God like if something bad happens to us, we, we kind of look at God and we go, well, I don't, what's not adding up, God? I, I put my card in. I came to church, I do my prayers, I do my attendance, I, I do this and I do that in the community, and, and, and I'm expecting you to then keep up your end of the bargain, right? That's a transactional view of God, like an ATM machine. Others sort of view God like, like, a, like a genie in a bottle where they get into some sort of predicament and they're kind of like, ah, I think I have three wishes, I don't know, maybe the Bible says that, let me sort of rub the Bible as a lamp and hopefully God pops out and it's like, bam, what wish do you want me to grant? You're like, oh, I'm in dire straits here. This is going on health-wise or job-wise or finance-wise or whatever, and I just need you to sort of do this, and then you can go back into the bottle, and then when I kind of hit dire straits again, you know, I'll call on you, right? Some of us sort of view God as a, like an uninterested deity, right? Like, yeah, he created the world. Sure, I get that, but does he really care about what I do? Does he really care about the, the car that I buy, the person I marry, the, the school that I choose to go to, how I interact in my dating relationship, how I study for tests? Does he care about my work performance, sort of how I interact with my colleagues? Does he, I don't think he really cares about my marriage or my family. So I'll give him the credit for creating me, but I can sort of do what I want then for the rest of my life. And some of us kind of think, God helps those who help themselves, right? By the way, that's not even in the Bible, right? As long as I pull myself up by my own bootstraps to take care of myself, then God will help me out, right? Those are all sort of bad habits that we have formed from our fallen minds regarding God. But Paul, Paul is appealing to Christians in Rome, and he's appealing to us as brothers and sisters. And what he is appealing on is the mercy of God, and when I was studying this past week, that phrase, I had, I had a moment. I maybe you've had moments like this where you're reading the Bible. And figuratively, but sometimes it feels literally, you feel the words come off the page and sort of give you a... And then go back onto the page. Right? You're like, what just happened? Right? I, I had that sort of interaction with this mercies of God phrase. And I began to study that more. And what I found was mercies of God in the original language means this. It means when somebody looks at somebody else who's in a helpless state, what comes up within them is compassion and mercy for the one in a helpless state. You see how that relates to us? Paul is, is urging us as brothers and sisters, and he's, he's saying, I appeal to you, and this is on the basis that I make this appeal on the mercies of God. 
that God saw us when we were in this helpless state. And what came out of God was compassion and mercy for us as these people who are helpless. The Bible talks about how we are dead in our sins and we can't save ourselves. And it actually, it actually says this in Romans chapter 5, verses 6, 7, and 8. It says this, Romans 5, verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And then Paul explains it this way, verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. In other words, when you hated God, when you reviled God, when you loathed God, when you didn't want to have anything to do with God, when you couldn't stand God. He saw you in that state and what came out of him was compassion and mercy for you and for me. And it says that while we despised God, he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to be abused by us, to be persecuted by us, to be tortured by us, to be hated by us, to be nailed to a cross, blood dripping down as he breathed his last breath. And the Bible says God did that because when he looked at us, he saw that we could not save ourselves. And he had compassion and mercy. And it came out of him through Christ to us. Isn't that incredible? God is a compassionate and merciful Father. A.W. Tozer <clears throat> says in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, I encourage you to read if you have some time. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Why? Because if we don't think about God in the right way, in other words, step one, if we don't have the right God, our relationship with God will not grow. Do you think my relationship with God would grow if I just pictured God as a genie in a bottle? Do you think my relationship with God will grow if I picture him in a transactional ATM way? Do you think my relationship with God will grow if I picture him as an uninterested deity? He made me, great. He doesn't care about what I do. He doesn't want a relationship with me. Do you think my relationship with God will grow if I think, well, God's only going to help me if I help myself, right? Tozer says this about what happens in us when we think about God as something other than he is not. He says this, wrong ideas about God are not only the foundation from which the polluted waters of idolatry flow, they are themselves idolatrous. He says, wrong ideas about God is idolatry. The idolater simply imagines things about God and acts as if they were true. And then he says this, the first step down for any church, that's us, the first step down for any church is taken when the church surrenders its high opinion of God. 
Before the Christian church goes into eclipse anywhere, there first must be a corrupting of her simple basic theology. She simply gets a wrong answer to the question, what is God like? And goes on from there. Pretty powerful. God is a compassionate and merciful father. I want to show you a picture. This is a picture of my sister, Abby. She's 22 years old. She's currently a university student studying to become an abolitionist against human trafficking. So she's going to travel around the world and, and help women and children and boys who are, who are trafficked. And she wants to help end human trafficking in her lifetime. Abby was born in 1995 in a country called Kenya. My parents in the 90s were missionaries in Kenya. When Abby was born, her mom gave birth to her at a birthing center and said to the nurses, I cannot take care of this baby. Would you please find a place where she can be taken care of? So the nurses took her to this Christian-run children's home. And my parents sort of had a relationship and knew some people at this children's home and they went to the children's home, my mom and dad, and, and they looked at Abby when she was four months old. And what rose up within them was compassion and mercy. And they adopted her into our family. And our family would not have been complete had Abby not been in it. She has been a wonderful blessing to our family. And anytime I look at Abby, what I see is the picture of the relationship I have with God as my father who has adopted me into his family, as someone who, when he saw me in my helpless state, what came out of him was compassion and mercy, and then he adopted me into his family. And that's exactly how God views you. In 1 John chapter 3, it says this, verse 1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And then it says this in the present tense, and so we are. So we continue to be. We are God's children, sons and, <clears throat> sons and daughters of him if we have received his son as our Lord and Savior. And so the question then for us is how do you view God are you viewing God rightly with accuracy? Does your view of God include compassionate and merciful Father? If your relationship with God is stunted, it may be because you have gotten the wrong God. You have gotten the wrong idea about God and you are going on from there in a stale relationship with Him. Remember what Tozer says, the most what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What is your view of God? Compassionate, merciful Father, or is it something else? The second step to growing our relationship with God, to learning a new way, learning a different way, is having a right response. Paul says in continuing on in verse 1 of Romans chapter 12, he makes his appeal by the mercies of God, and then he says this, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's the command from Paul. By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That term, living sacrifice, I don't know about you, but it's always weirded me out. So when I was studying, I was going, what's the deal with the living sacrifice? Because if you know the Old Testament, 
there weren't like goats jumping off the altar, right, when they were trying to be slain, or doves, or pigeons, or rams, or bulls. I mean, these were animals that had been slaughtered because there was payment with their blood for the sins of the people. These animals were killed, then put on the altar, and then offered up to God as an act of worship by the individual worshiper. What's the deal with living sacrifice? Doesn't sound like fun, Paul. But what Paul does is he makes this idea of sacrifice so personal. And what he's saying is this. You have to put yourself on the altar every morning, your physical body as a living sacrifice to God. And why would you do that? Because of the mercies of God. When you view God as a compassionate and merciful father, your response to him will be, what can I sacrifice for you? What can I do to bring you glory? What can I do so that your will will be done? What can I do to serve you every day? Because of my fallen state, I need to put myself on the, sac- on the altar to sacrifice myself in order to worship you. That's my response to knowing who you are, to having a right view of you, to having an accurate view of you putting myself on the altar every day. When I was growing up, I loved soccer, and I made sacrifices on the altar of soccer. I got to the point where when my friends were hanging out, I was like, hey, it's okay, I got my ball, (laughs) right? I got my ball, I'm juggling my soccer ball. And I remember in middle school, I think I was in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, I was able to juggle the ball like six, seven, eight, nine hundred times for about half hour, 45 minutes to an hour straight, just being able to touch the ball like this without it touching the ground. Feet, thighs, forehead, shoulder, all sorts of different stuff. And the reason I could do that was because I was developing a relationship with the ball. So I would know how the ball was going to respond when it touched one of my body parts. Or I knew how if I hit the ball hard, it would respond this way or gently it would respond this way. I cultivated a relationship with the ball. And some of you are like, dude, that was pathetic. (laughs) My goal was to become a professional soccer player. And so every morning when I woke up, I said, this is my goal. What sacrifices do I need to make to get to this goal? What sacrifices? I was sacrificing on the altar of sport, right? The question for all of us is, what altar are you sacrificing on? Who is your God? You know, if you think about your job, are you making sacrifices in your job? Maybe you travel way more than you want to. Maybe you work longer hours more than you want to. Maybe you rarely see your family because you're making sacrifices in order to have the job that you want to have or to make the money you want to make or to have the material possessions you want to have. All of us, don't be deceived, all of us make sacrifices every day in order to have something, in order to be someone. What is it? Who is it? To whom do you make sacrifices? To what do you make sacrifices? You're doing it. Every day you wake up and you make sacrifices. Imagine if every morning we woke up and in light of God's merciful, compassionate, fatherly role in our lives as as he adopted us, imagine if we saw him for who he was and our first statement and question in the morning was, God, Thank you so much for loving me. Thank you so much for adopting me. Now what sacrifices can I make today for you? How can I put myself on the altar to worship you? Is it having a conversation with somebody who doesn't know about you? That's really uncomfortable for me, but I'm willing to make that sacrifice. 
Is it taking a pay cut so that your integrity and ethics are in play instead of deceiving and manipulating so that you can get one step further ahead at work? Is it reading your Bible regularly? Man, I need to sacrifice an hour more of my sleep in order so that I can get up and interact with God and hear from His Word. Is it praying more regularly? God, I'm going to sacrifice time in my car. I'm going to turn off my radio and I'm just going to pray and have a conversation with you anytime I'm in my car because my job is such that I'm going, going, going. Or maybe you're a mom who's taking kids to their different places. God, what is it? Maybe it's, you know what? I need to come home earlier a few nights a week so that we can have family devotions together around the dinner table. That's going to be a sacrifice. My boss is maybe going to look at me and not give me what I want in terms of promotion or having the right view of me, but that's okay because that's a sacrifice I'm going to make because God is merciful and compassionate and he is my father who has adopted me. We're all making sacrifices on somebody's altar. If your relationship with God is not growing, it could very well be that you're making the wrong sacrifices on the wrong altar. Make sure you're putting yourself on God's altar and that every day you're asking, God, because of who you are, because of what you've done, you're my father, you've adopted me, what can I do for you today? I expect to make sacrifices as a Christian. Jesus told me to count the cost. I expect to sacrifice for you today. Please give me courage to obey you when you ask me to do that. The third and final step is a right life. A right life. Paul basically tells us in verse 2, he's like, hey, here's what you want to do in verse 1. Here's how you do it in verse 2. You want to be a living sacrifice for God, and then here's how you do it in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You want to know what it looks like to be a living sacrifice every day? Paul says it looks like two things. One, don't be conformed to the world. Two, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to the world is this. Don't look more and more like the self that you were before Jesus. Stop regressing in your relationship with God progress move forward in your relationship with God stop regressing don't look like the you when you just came to Jesus or before you came to Jesus don't look like the world and then Paul says but be transformed by the renewal of your minds in other words let God transform you through his word so that you can then know his will that word transformation in the Greek is where we get our English word metamorphosis those of you, maybe you remember middle school science when you're talking about a caterpillar to a butterfly, right? That's metamorphosis. That's spiritual transformation. I think oftentimes when we think about transformed, we think like, yeah, iPhone 7 to like iPhone, what are we at? Like iPhone 29 at this point? I don't even know where we're at. iPhone whatever to iPhone whatever, right? That's, that's what is that though? That's an upgrade, right? Or we think like pre-workout body, boom post-workout body, right? Transformation, baby. That's upgrade. Transformation, you got to be thinking about caterpillar to a butterfly, right? 
We, we used to be this, the Bible says, our old selves, like a caterpillar, and then through the process of transformation, we have now become new selves, new people. We have a new identity. We have a new behavior. We have new habits. We have new values. We, we, metamorphosis, it's a new form or being or structure. We're, we're, we're different creatures by the mercies of God. And so then we got to ask ourselves, what, what do our lives look like? Paul says, don't be conformed. Don't be molded into the image of the world. Do our lives look like the image of the world? Do you look more today like your old self from maybe a month or two months ago? Or do you look more like Jesus? Do you have more fruit of the Spirit, patience, peace, and joy, and love, and kindness, and gentleness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and self-control? Do you have more of that coming out of you or less of that? The goal of the Christian life is transformation, this maturing that takes place as we become more and more and more like Jesus. You know, sometimes I gotta go to Kaylee and I'd encourage you to start using this language. I'm going to, after studying this passage, I'm gonna have to say, hey Kaylee, I'm sorry. I looked a little bit more like a, like a caterpillar there. <laughs> I need to look more like a butterfly, right? And you, probably people around you will be like, what are you on, man? What butterfly, caterpillar? But you know. Hey, I'm sorry. I, I sort of let my old self sort of, sort of rear its ugly head, my impatience, my unkindness, uh, not being good, not, not having self-control. I need to be more like the butterfly, right? Because if Scripture is true, and it is, then we are all in that process of becoming more and more like Jesus, more and more transformed, right? Those are the three steps. Right God, right response, and right life so that so that when you wake up you should be able to say God you have come for me you have adopted me there's nothing nothing too great for me to sacrifice for you ask ask and I will do it with obedience because of who you are your great mercy and your great love help me to be less and less like my old self the world and more and more transformed into your likeness so that I will know your will. I will know what's acceptable to you. I will know what pleases you. My marriage at home, how I study, how I interact with friends at school, the language I use, the words I use, the thoughts I think, my reaction, my response, my emotions, my job, the relationships there, they will know that I'm more and more like you because of your great mercy and compassion for me. And that's the goal. Transformed in 2018 is moving to be more and more like Jesus and less and less like the old self that we used to be. Right God, right response, right life. Would you pray with me? And Father, we come before you and we ask for the Holy Spirit to continue to work in us Help us to be disciplined and reliant on the Holy Spirit all at the same time as we think about you in the right way as a compassionate and merciful Father. Help us to have the right response where because of your compassion and mercy, we put ourselves on your altar every day and we say, I will submit and sacrifice to you and that is my act of worship. And then help us to do that in the right way, looking less and less like our old selves and more and more like Jesus. We pray this in his name.
Amen.